Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and today we are doing something a little different. We're mixing in a different co-host. This is going to be so fun. I want to introduce to you guys my good friend Mel McIsaac. Mel, how are you? I'm doing really well, Davey. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. I'm doing so well. Hey, you, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit because you are, this is fun because we're actually doing co-hosting a few states away. I know. Um, tell us I know. a little bit about the McIsaac family. Let's just kind of hear all about Mel for a little bit, because this will be fun. I want our listeners to hear to hear from you. Well, I think we should make it clear that I know you through your wife, Christy. That's true. That's true. Your and, beautiful wife, Christy. And a really late night that the four of us, your husband, Charlie, and us two <laughs> stayed up and talked about all things. We didn't talk about the Enneagram, did we? Did we talk about the Enneagram that night? Or I did think we talk a little about- bit. We talked all about the Myers-Briggs because you're like an expert on it. So, But I've been delving in deep to the Enneagram yes. and I am a fan. Well, <laughs> you're going to fit right in here with the Nothing is Wasted community. So, But yeah, tell us a little bit about you guys, your family, where you're from. What do you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So my husband is a pastor at The Journey in St. Louis. We love St. Louis. It is really good to live in St. Louis if you like food. And we Ooh. do. So. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh, well, I we, do too. So we would argue that St. Louis has the best barbecue. Oh. Even better than Memphis. What? Come on. Yeah. Well, people I'm not people in Kansas City claim too that they've got quite a good lineup of barbecue. How do you compare there? I we've been to Kansas City just for the barbecue. And I'm telling you, they ain't got nothing on Pappies. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. So, um, yeah, the barbecue is amazing. Pretty much all the food is really, really nice. We have food and we have the Cardinals. So that works out well for us. Um, And you can't beat that if you do food and the Cardinals on the same night. That's good stuff right there. I know. That's awesome. Um, But I have been married to my husband, Charlie, for eight years. We have three little kids, um, five, two, and nine months. Hmm. We have two little girls and a little boy. And they are super fun. Um, let's see. I homeschool, um, just like Christy, which has been really fun, really hard, but really good yeah. for me. Man, you're brave. Brave. You girls are so brave with homeschooling and uh, trying to juggle all that. It's unreal. unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the first year. We're just taking a year by year, um, but it seems to be a good fit. But, I think that should be the um, philosophy with homeschooling, year by year. Yeah, and kid, year by by kid. Year. <laughs> and kid by kid, trial I'm runs. Telling you, yeah, my second one, she's coming in hot, and I'm like, you know, public school might be good for you. <laughs> um, I awesome. am interested, and in, I really enjoy all things health, holistic health. Um, I like you mentioned, I'm really into Myers Briggs and the Enneagram. I'm an eight wing seven. Okay. And what are you? I'm a three wing four. Three wing, wing four. four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I know any three wing fours. Well, now you do. This is I know. this is fun. We can tell each other about all the crazy nuances and proclivities of each other because of our Enneagram. This is fun. Absolutely. <laughs> three wing fours Absolutely. are like image conscious and image driven and achievement based and oriented. But we have this, and this is really fun and odd at the same time. The fours are all about authenticity and introspection. And so um, I've learned that our three, the three and the four just kind of like the four kind of indicts the three in me 
It's like, oh, let's go accomplish this thing. Let's do this thing. And the four is like, yeah, but are you being authentic? <laughs> is that for real? Is that really that you? inner battle? <laughs> so I imagine you probably have that too, because you're like the challenger who's going to go after and take the hill as well. And you're kind of the the boss, right? You're in, you're in charge. Tell say Christy, she's kind of a boss too. But then you're like the spunky, fun wing seven, you know. So you've got this like highly organized eight side and this really spontaneous scattered seven side? Is that how you kind of conflict there? Or what does that look like? Yeah, you know, the eight, I'm a challenger. So I love a good debate. <laughs> I love some healthy or maybe some not so healthy competition. It's been, that's been interesting in our marriage. Um, we <laughs> went to a bar the other night that has all kinds of outdoor board games and oh, man. yard games, but inside because, you know, it's freezing right now. And uh, there's a ginormous Connect Four, and I—I I mean, we literally couldn't leave until I won. I was like, "We're gonna just let's just play again. Let's just try it again," you know. <laughs> and Charlie's just so. so laid back. He's probably like winning and just like, "Huh, eh, meh, whatever." Yeah, whatever. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But then the seven of me, the seven in me, is just craves adventure and yeah. let's go have fun. So that's awesome, yeah. man. Well, I'm so excited about having you on um, and our listeners are going to get to know a little bit more about you as we go along. Um, but we've got a fantastic interview today with this guy named Grant Skeldon. Have you heard of Grant before? No, I, I know have, you've listened yes. to the podcast, but had you heard of him before that? I have not, no. Okay. He, is, uh, he lives in a cool city too. And he loves the city, and he talks a lot about that. Um, probably not as cool as St. Louis, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and I'm really excited about the listeners listening to this podcast. He talks a lot about millennials. You're a millennial, aren't you? How old are, what's I your, am a millennial. Yeah, so what do you think about millennials being a millennial? I love millennials, and I love being a millennial. And I think that we get the rap on a lot of stuff, and, and it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever caught that? Have you ever caught that from anybody just out of curiosity? Like, oh, well, you're just oh, a millennial. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. My parents don't think that we know how to budget because we're a millennial. I'm like, <laughs> look at all the Dave Ramsey books on my shelf. Look at my YNAB app. Like, we budget. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. And hey, we are launching our, for the very first time, our coaching. Nothing is wasted coaching. I'm super excited about this. Um, it's actually been out for a week with our email subscribers and they're sorting through all of that. And now we want to make sure that you guys have access to be able to go do this. But um, Mel, there's two types of coaching we're doing. We're doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and we're doing group coaching. And so um, let me tell you a little bit about the difference between these because it, you're going to want to jump on these. There's not very many spots available with this one-on-one -on -one coaching. There's only 10 spots available. So it can be male or female. It doesn't matter. Christy and I are going to be doing those together and it'll be a, a, a individualized, personalized coaching across Zoom calls. Um, or if you're in Indianapolis, we could probably meet up with you. I, we haven't even explored that option, but most people are not going to be, they're going to be outside of this. There's 12 sessions. It lasts 12 weeks. And uh, th there is also an additional 30-minute free intro session that we do with that. Um, but the group sessions are a little bit different. There's two groups that we're offering. It is um, a female group that's going to have 10 spots available, only 10 spots available for this female group. And then there's a male group where there's only six spots available. Christy and I will take the female group together, and then I'll be doing the, the male group. And I'm super excited about us launching out into this coaching thing to, to help more people from an individualized level. Yeah, let me ask you this, Davey. What's the difference between your coaching that you're describing right here and a counseling session? Mm, that's that's good. That's a really good question. Well, you know, so counseling, I feel like 
we all kind of walk through some kind of uh, pain and tragedy or trial or transition, and we, and we need counseling. Counseling is kind of the deep tissue work, so to speak, deep tissue work for our soul. And um, it's kind of like if you get hurt in sports, you know, and you're actually injured and it's preventing mm-hmm. you from getting out on the field, then you got to go to a physical therapist or maybe sometimes you got to do surgery or something like that and, um, and then do some physical therapy to get back on the field. But, but someone who's playing sports, they need a coach all the time. They need someone who's walking along the journey with them and more specifically developing a plan for them or a blueprint for them so they can be successful in the middle of this. And so what we're doing is we're saying, hey, we'll refer you to some really great counselors. If you're in that place where you found yourself on your back in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, we're going to try to find help you find a good counselor. And so we're trying to build this massive database of counselors, biblical counselors all over the country. And as we continue to build that, we'll keep referring you to those people. But this right here is once you've kind of stood up in the valley of the shadow of death, you're kind of getting your bearings straight and you've decided, hey, I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to, to, to kind of get up out of this valley and, mm-hmm. and start to move on with life after I've experienced my, my tragedy transition or, or trial. And um, we want to be there to help guide you in that. We want to be your coach to develop that blueprint to help move you through that. Because the only way out of a valley is through it. You got to go through it. And Psalm 23, 4 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Well, that you is Jesus. Jesus is the one that guides us through the valley, but we'd love to be a guide right there, pointing you to Jesus the entire way and helping to develop some practical plans or programs for you individually based on your specific circumstance on how you walk through that valley. So that's kind of the difference between counseling and coaching. Does that that make sense, Mel? Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's really good. I'm so excited for this. Oh, we are too. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we've already sat down with some folks and, and kind of done a little bit of just like um, just some brief kind of coaching sessions uh, for free for people just to kind of get our feet wet. And it has gotten us so excited about it. And so the other thing too, Mel, is, you know, when people go to the site, when they go to davyblackburn.com slash coaching, and they're going to look at these prices, what's crazy about these prices is we've been talking about with other people who do similar things is we have absolutely slashed these prices. I mean, it is like, It's kind of unheard of. And here's one of the reasons why is because this first group, the first class of people who are going to come through this with us, we want to like, we want to reward them because they're, they're coming in and they're in some ways they're helping us to, um, uh, to, to fine tune what this coaching experience looks like for people. So we're going to give the first class of people a major discount on this stuff because we want their feedback on this. We want to say, hey, what in this process was helpful? What wasn't helpful? And so it, you're going to want to jump in on this first class because after this first three months, the pricing definitely goes up for that stuff. And the deadline to register for this is February 27th. February 27th. Okay. So you have if you're listening to this on February 7th when it releases, you got 20 days. So make sure that you go and do that and the spots are going to fill up fast. It's going to Yeah, be just great. pause the podcast and go sign up. We'll, we'll be waiting for you. That's exactly right. We will definitely be waiting. Grant Skeldon's got a lot of good things to say, but we will be waiting for you. So davyblackburn.com slash coaching and go ahead and register for your either one-on-one session or group sessions. Hey, and we just want to say thank you so much for um, just faithfully listening to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And mm-hmm. if you have a spare moment, we would love for you just to hop on over to iTunes and rate and review review us. This really helps in making our podcast more visible to more people. And um, our 
heart is to meet people and their pain and yeah. um, just to get as much exposure as possible. And so, yeah, we would be very grateful if you would go over there and do that for us. Yeah. And thank you for those of you guys who have done that. And also thank you for those of you guys who have uh, started following our new Instagram handle, Nothing is Wasted Ministries. Mel, I know you've been all over that Instagram handle. I love me some Insta. Right? You're a, you're an Insta <laughs> fan. <laughs> so make sure you go follow that. There's going to be all kinds of behind the scenes stuff that we're going to be doing on Instagram, um, stuff that you will not be able to get on my Instagram or Mel's Instagram or Christy's Instagram or any of the other Nothing is Wasted team. So you got to go follow Nothing is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. It is such Absolutely. a fun trip. Yeah, And if you have a cool story or if there's any way that we could pray for you or help you in this season, please go ahead and just email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com and we would love to um, respond to you. Yeah, we're getting all kinds of people sharing their stories. And, and one of the things we're going to be doing here pretty soon, Mel, is we're going to start sharing those stories that people share with us on Instagram and on our website. So you can go on there and you'll be able to read several people's stories of hope and healing through the, the midst of their trial. It's going to be a really cool thing. So make sure you email that, I love that. email that story into us. We've got places on the website, nothingiswasted.com or davyblackburn.com. Both take you to the same place right now and you can write your story in. Sounds good. Well, without further ado, let's get into this. Yes. Grant, great to have you on the podcast with me, man. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, bro. Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where do you where do you come from? Where what's what's your background? What, what are you doing these days? Are you just writing, or what's 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 Grant Skeldon's life like? Dude, so actually, I just ironically saying where I'm from. Dude, I'm Dallas, Texas. Okay, I love Dallas, Texas. Have, have you been to Dallas yeah. much oh, yeah. or visit uh-huh. often? Okay, if you're a Christian, you got to come to some conference here. We have conferences like every day. Uh, but basically, I am. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was. Pretty typical millennial, I feel like, in Dallas. So Dallas doesn't have really that many cool things. Like mm-hmm. if you're in Nashville, they got music. If you're in Orange County or California, they got great weather. They got oceans and beaches. Like Dallas has churches and they have <laughs> restaurants um, and, and conferences. It really is like yeah. there's not – people say, like, what do you all do? It's like we go eat. Like there's a lot of restaurants. And uh, I used to be like I, – I say I'm kind of like a George Bailey enthusiast. Uh, do you know who he is from <laughs> It's a Wonderful yes, Life? Yes, of course. I Mary. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, yeah he's like do you want do you want the moon mary there i just i had my girlfriend re- uh, watch this movie for the first time and she's never seen it before i was like this is my number one favorite movie that's awesome and she uh basically i i i say i'm a george bailey enthusiast for two reasons i think he's a lot like millennials that's just mm. passionate visionary just like just want to do something big and significant with their life yeah. and he says wipe the uh wipe this crummy town off my feet and just go change the world yeah and he never gets to do these things um uh if you um, if you've never seen the movie i'm sorry that's a spoiler alert but <laughs> you had like 73 years uh, i was gonna year say year where to have you been if you've never movie. seen this movie come on <laughs> yeah a lot of people have seen snippets of they've never seen the full movie yeah. but yeah he's got a vision and dream to go change the world be a part of something bigger than himself to me it sounds a lot like young millennials mm-hmm. but never gets to do that and really begrudges his whole experience in uh bedford falls the small town that he grew up in and i kind of felt that way in dallas like god i want to go to portland or seattle mm-hmm. new york i want to go start a church or start a business or do something that makes a big difference and one day i think i felt like god kind of said what if instead of you starting over somewhere else you just built on this foundation i've given you wow. in your own city 
And uh, I, I really challenge uh, young people, but especially in my organization, Initiative Network, I challenge a lot of young people of like, maybe you're, uh, you're struggling with comparison and competition and you're always like measuring success by what other people are doing instead of what you're doing. And you have no idea what your purpose in life is doing. Mm-hmm. And you're like waiting for God to give you direction or a full plan. And maybe you just need to make the first step of like commit to where you are right now wow. and go all out and loving it rather than what George Bailey does is he hates the process. And yeah. then when he finds out what he kind of makes that wish, I wish I was never born. And the angel Clarence is like, oh, okay, I'll let you see what it's like <laughs> if you were never born. And he sees, man, his family, his friends, his community is unbelievably impacted in a very negative way mm. simply because he didn't exist. And so to me, that's a true local missionary. That's what Christians tend to do in the book of Acts is they went into cities and they turned those cities upside down. Yeah. And so I, I'd like to ask every Christian kind of like, if you never existed, how much would it impact your friends, your family, and your community um, and if it dis- doesn't, then maybe you're not like doing what you need to be doing because you're like trying to do something somewhere else or waiting for God to give you direction. Just go all in where you are. And so I've kind of done that with Dallas. I, unless God says otherwise, I've kind of said, I'll be here for the rest of my life. I yeah. love Dallas. And when you commit to a city personally, a couple of things happen is one, um, I, I don't I feel like God's given me a lot more clarity with what I'm supposed to do. Mm. Two, I, I don't really struggle with comparison and competition with other Christians that are doing cooler, better, more influential things. Now it's like, yo, how can we partner together yeah, that's good. to better impact our city? And if you're doing better, great. Because yeah. my city is the scorecard, not my ministry or your ministry and how much attendance we have or the size of the ministry. It's just who how can we better work together to impact Dallas? And so there's a lot of what I'm about is how do I disrupt divisions among generations, denominations, and even occupations. Uh, I think that we've really made the marketplace feel like the B team in yeah. ministry. And I think that's going to be really the A team in reaching the millennial generation since most young people aren't going to church. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what initiative does is disrupts division among young Christian leaders in Dallas through a network of about 80 young leaders from 50 churches in an eight-month accelerator and just creates trust and unity for those young adults that are willing to kind of commit to Dallas and see what happens over the next 40 years. Wow. Dude, that's incredible, man. I love the, this talk about uh, being planted in a city and deciding to do that and how that's fighting against this comparison because I feel like there's so often, you know, as a pastor, we have millennials that go to our church and that I've interacted with a lot. And there's so much yeah. that's like, if I can just move to this city or if I can just, it's always the talk of, if I can go to LA or Nashville yeah. or whatever, yeah. that's where the opportunity is going to break for me. And, and I just, you know, I'm like, man, God, God can do something in your life right where you're at if you just plant. And you can't just keep digging yourself up the way if you did that to a plant out in your garden, it never takes root. It never actually bears fruit yeah. because you're just digging yeah. it up, plopping it somewhere else, digging it up, plopping it somewhere else, digging it up, plopping it somewhere That's else. Um, how, how? So we're going to talk about this millennial conversation, man. But you just you talked about this comparison thing and how you're not fighting against that. There's so many millennials. You're kind of becoming known as one of the millennial experts out there in Christian world right now. Yeah. Especially with this millennial book that you've whisperer. Come out. There it is. How how much of this comparison battle is attributed to the just how the social media network and so how would you dialogue about that? Tell me more about this comparison yeah, and why mean, it's so dangerous and and why we're being why we're so susceptible to it today. Yeah, I mean, I think you you're spot on, Davey, Is that like it, I think in the book I said the social media error has made uh, comparison almost like unlimited for this generation mm-hmm. and that the millennial generation understands comparison in ways that I would dare to say Xers and especially boomers can't even fathom. 
because like the whole concept of keeping up with the Jones mm. uh, was kind of limited in a sense. Like you, uh, I joke, we're in, a, I'm in Dallas. So the Jones is like, there really is a Jones. There really is a keep Jones. Up with. Like Jerry <laughs> Jones is like, this dude flies into like, when he goes somewhere, he like takes a helicopter to that part of town. And That's so great. there is a Jones to keep up with. And like, when you think about it though, it's like keeping up with the Jones, let's say in the fifties, you look down the street, you see like Mary and George, yeah. they, they got a better car than you. They got a better house than you. Their grass is better than you. Maybe their dogs better than your dog, like whatever it is. But maybe, maybe they might invite you into their home and you can see their, their house is more decorated than yours. Their kids are more uh, obedient than yours or just polite. Uh, you might see, uh, yeah, they got better furniture, whatever it may mm-hmm. be. But you probably wouldn't go into their workplace and get to see, oh, they got a corner office and mm-hmm. they got uh, the, uh, a jet or they got this kind of family And Thanksgiving looks like this. And uh, basically, I think through social media, I mean, we can get on there and we can see every single snapshot yeah. of a person's day um, that just wasn't even accessible at that time. And so I think it's really made uh, comparison unlimited. They say that our generation um, is struggling with OCD more than any other generation before. Hmm. And what I mean by that is not uh, washing your hands a lot. Yeah, I right. mean, obs- obsessive comparison disorder. Wow. Wow. Yeah, just we, we're constantly comparing to each other. The, uh, how, how much do you think that contributes to the rise of depression, anxiety, suicide? Did you think, do you feel there's a, there's a parallel there? Um, yeah, yeah. And I may say, you know, I think for young Christians, it may even be worse or harder for them because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, Everyone kind of knows everyone shows the best on social media. That just kind of is, I'm not the first to say that. Like I've heard it best said is social media's mantra is show your best and then hide the rest. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of is the mantra. Everyone knows we do that. Um, But I think one of the worst things that comes out of it is if you're a Christian and you're a young Christian, when you're young, you're still trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do here? If you're a young Christian today, why the book's called The Passion Generation Mm -hmm. is I am convinced that this generation is considering their major in college, their job, their future based off what they're passionate about and what's going to connect to their purpose way more than their provision in the sense of like what's going to provide a good paycheck and a good job. Because a lot of parents of millennials... I talk to a lot of millennials. I say, don't you feel like your parents don't really care what you do as long as you say, God, uh, mom, dad, I want to be a banker. I want to be an architect. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. They were like, oh, we love it. We never thought about that, but we know that makes good money. So we're totally a fan of that. You're not going to be in my basement when you're 30. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But if you say, hey, I want to be an artist or I want to start a nonprofit, I want to be a Mm. pastor. They're kind of like, are you sure God's calling you to this? Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden they want to question God's calling on your life. I'm like, Heaven forbid God called his kids to do something like be homeless for yeah. and follow and have two twelve disciples. And so wow. with that being said, I, I do think it, it connects a lot. But if you're a young Christian, you you're like, God, give me what am I supposed to do? And it seems like everybody else through social media is very connected to their purpose and they're because they're showing their best. Yeah. They're showing it every day. And so I, I I think it is causing depression. I think it's causing a lot of um just anxiety and even um, transience among this generation. Um, we're on the trajectory to have 14 jobs by the time yeah. of, that we're 40 years old. And I think we're just switching our ladders all the time because we see someone else that's seemingly making a difference. But mm-hmm. I love your analogy about the plant. Like you're not going to see 
the fruitfulness and the beauty of a plant if you just always change its its soil. Yeah. What what would you say? And then we're going to dive more into specifically some of the because I want you to talk to as if you're talking to millennials. Uh, you wrote so many good things in this book as if you're you're sitting here discipling or mentoring a millennial right now. But then you also talk about you talk several things to parents, which I think is just yeah. awesome. And so I want to get to that. But what would you say since we're on the topic would be the remedy to that? I mean, we're there's no doubt we're living in this social social media generation and culture how would how do you guard yourself from this kind of comparison i feel like i have i feel like i'm a i'm 33 years old so i'm i'm at the very you know beginning of the millennial so i, I yeah. i'm in the social media i understand the pull and the draw yeah. and the benefits yeah. and disadvantages of it but i also grew up without it so i understand what you mean when you're talking about oh you go over to someone's house and you maybe have a couple people in your life that you compare yourself to but there's usually something that you can find about yourself that maybe you become the expert or the the known person in your small spheres for that so you find a sense of purpose how do we living now in this other world fight against that comparison? Yeah. Well, I'll say maybe two things. Um, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm failing forward in this myself. So yeah. I, I, as we all, I mean, are, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say one, I found, uh, changing my scorecard helps a lot. Mm. And so what do you mean and by then that? Two, tell, tell uh, me more about that? Changing my scorecard would be like, my scorecard is not my influence, my ministry, my life, and how it's perceived. My scorecard is, I mean, for you, just to make it applicable to anyone, I would say start with your city. Mm. My scorecard is my city. Maybe if you want to get even more specific, it's my workplace and the work that I'm doing. And you might be like, I hate my job. Still, it's, I mean, God has you there for a reason. Yeah. Make that your scorecard. Because I found he gives a lot more clarity when we're killing it and the things that he's given us today. Mm. Then when we're like waiting for him to give us something else, I found those people rarely figure out what the next thing is because Jesus even quoted in the Old Testament, he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Wow. And I think just being obedient with where you are, we tend to be like, God, I know you want me to do this, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to sacrifice this, this and that. He's like, I don't care about this, this and that. I care about you being obedient here. And so my scorecard is. I want to be really, really good at the job that I do because I'm going to spend about one third of my life statistically at my job. And so to think God doesn't care about where we spend one third of our life, especially since about one third of our life is also spent sleeping. Therefore, about (laughs) half of our waking hours are at work. And to think that we can just like to give a meh effort is just pretty unbiblical in my opinion. And that is why most people critique our generation is our work ethic and just transience again. So it's changing the scorecard, but again, that helps. No longer am I looking at uh, everybody else, especially if I'm doing my city. If you do what I do and you do it better than me, great. Mm. Like, that's awesome because I'm just trying to impact the city. Like, when I read on a very practical level, when I read that, you know, the the band Casting Crowns, um, that whole concept of like even the best guys, like the Billy Grahams of the world, they're going to get the bigger crowns with the better jewels. But when I read like even the best guys, because I'm an activator achiever, like on the strength Mm -hmm. finders, I'm like, let's go do it. This is what it says. Let's go make it happen. Um, But when I found out even the best activator and achievers that get the best crowns, they have to cast it before God because he then gets all the glory and he then gets all the credit. I'm like, this thing's rigged. Like even the hardest workers don't get the credit. God gets the credit. And so then it made me realize, okay, we're on the same team. Like his jersey is, his name is on our jersey. His name is on that guy's jersey or that girl's jersey. The more, now it helps me is like the more I can help you 
the more I win. Like the more you win and I win, the more I win, you win. We're on the same team. Like if LeBron James was on my team and I'm a basketball player, I'm not offended. Like thank you yeah. that he's better than me at basketball. Um, I'm not going to be like comparing myself or trying to compete with him. He's on my team. And so that scorecard changes from it's not about me. It's about the place where God's placed me. And the more people that feel a calling to that, great. Like I hope they do better because, again, um, I say unity is not everyone doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's everyone doing different things but in the same direction. Wow. And so uh, the second thing is change your scorecard not only in where it is but also how, how long you're going to gauge your, your success. In my opinion, most millennials, I mean, I think this is maybe the number one of the number top 10 questions that they probably ask themselves or struggle with is like maybe statements is I thought I would be farther along by this age mm-hmm. um, is like I thought by this age I would have done this or that or I would have uh, already accomplished this. And I think it needs to be instead of like, am I where I want to be by this age? I think the question should be at the end of every night. Was I faithful with today? Mm-hmm. That's it. Just was I faithful with today? I think we're measuring it by where we think we should be. And I think it should be measuring it by was I faithful with what God gave me? Like when Jesus gave us the Lord's prayer, it simply was uh, our father who art in heaven. Give us this day, just this day. I mean, not even this week or this year or five year plan. It was just this day. And so um, I think, yeah, if we can get better of like God today, that's all. I'm just like, if I can crush it today, that's great. all of a sudden those days add up and yeah, you start do. saying, man, this year I, I had a different perspective, but it's again, it's not even about other people's day. Was I faithful with my today? Did I walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which I was called? And if so, I found that is such a different game changer. I have it on the doorpost before I leave my, my house. Was I faithful with today? Wow. And I've found that the nights that I go to bed, Instead of like checking social media and seeing other people, if they were faithful with their day and measuring if they're doing, uh, if I'm doing as good as they are now, just like, great for them. I'm glad they were faithful with their mm-hmm. day. Was I faithful in my day? And I, I sincerely have found it is unbelievably helpful to be like, I feel like a winner or a victor, I guess, if you will, far mm-hmm. more than when I'm trying to measure if I'm doing as good as someone else, if someone did better than me and all this stuff, like it just really messes us up. Yeah. That's great. I've heard it said before that success is not about the outcome. It's about obedience. It's yeah, that same idea good. of faithfulness. So let's, let's, let's back up a little bit because there are people who are listening right now who are probably like, all right, I, I know that I hear this, this word millennial being thrown around. I hear the conversation. It, it's around me all the time. I hear people even like throwing millennial that term around at my workplace and they're frustrated with it. Define totally. for us, what is millennial? What are some of the stigmas right now that are that are surrounding the millennial generation. And if you can give us a little bit of like, what are the tensions between the two generations that typically crop up? Maybe you'll give us a little backdrop for the rest of our conversation. Well, okay. How about before I answer? I, yeah. I mean, we're both millennials. You, yeah. you hear it. I'm sure just as much as I, <laughs> I do. Hear. Like what, what is, what has been your experience? Um, Cause you're, you're, yeah. you're, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm, yeah. Cause I'm on the top end of it. And so, um, you know, I, I have worked, uh, as a boss over like kind of the the, nice. the lower end of millennials. And so I kind of like understand some, and then I also am in conversations with like board members or something like that yeah, where they're yeah. in the, 
the the Generation X generation, and the, and they're consistently throwing around millennial as this like frustrating. Well, it must be a millennial thing or something. Yeah, and yeah. and so I'm sitting there in the middle of those two, going like, hey, I want to I want to be a, a leader of of my generation, but I also see some of the things that you're seeing as well, and I think the stigmas that have been surrounding the millennial generation for a while now have been a sense of entitlement where maybe it, maybe it's not entitlement for, to them, but it is that idea of like, Hey, I should be further along in this process or I should get, maybe I should get this without having to put in the work or the time or the commitment yeah. for it. It should just kind of be handed to me because it looks like it's handed to everybody else. Um, I think, uh, 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 sometimes a lack of commitment is is the stigma that can be thrown around. I think sometimes um, this idea of, um, like you said, a transient type idea, uh, I think not working hard or maybe not because they tend to not stick to a structured nine to five, yeah, right? Yeah. Because there's so much of entrepreneurship and the way that technology is changing our remote work habits that there is a an idea that, okay, well, they're sleeping until 11, and so they must not, therefore, be getting as much done. They're not as productive. Yeah, not as, yeah. So there's there's just a misunderstanding, I think, oftentimes um, between these generations. And, you know, it's something that you address quite quite a bit in this book of trying to bridge those two. And so maybe you can fill in the gaps where I left off right there, Grant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for the for a lot of people always ask, like, what is it? And it's usually based off years. Um, generally, I've heard around... Anyone that's born between 1980 to 2000, mm-hmm. uh, you can give like three to five year window. Because I've definitely heard different right. windows earlier or later. I don't think like if it's two years before what I just said, that person's going to be dramatically different. Like again, it's a two year difference. Right. But 1980 to 2000, um, yeah, all those negative things. Uh, the irony is like when I first started this, uh, probably about five, six years ago, uh, people didn't even the millennial was starting to become a little bit more popular word among millennials. Yeah. Like I would say the word millennial, and I, a couple of my friends would be like, "What you keep like, what saying you millennial? About? Like what is that?" And I was like, <laughs> "You, you are one." Like, but I was like, "But we don't call each other millennials." Right. Like at that time, um, I remember older people mixing up the word. They sometimes would say millennium, like the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon. So it was like this new thing. But now it's so frustrating for. I always say pastors are trying to figure out how to reach millennials. Right. Parents are trying to figure out how to raise millennials. And then business leaders are just trying to figure out how to retain millennials. Right. And so it's it's kind of forced itself in the forefront of one of the probably top five, top ten tensions in the workplace, in the church, right. and families, and politics, everywhere. They are, yeah, I, was, I, I often say in the book, I was like, if you are a millennial, you tend to be coddled by your parents. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking about the workplace. I would say that they're not coddling them. They're usually getting criticized in the workplace. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a ton of ton of misconceptions. I think a part of those are, one, there's a major shift, I think, in what the American dream looks like for millennials mm. compared to what it looked like for boomers. Uh, two, I think that this is one of the most fatherless generations we've seen in America. Um, and I don't only mean physical fathers not being there. I mean a, hu- a massive amount of uh, absence among spiritual mm-hmm. fathers. Um, maybe the physical father was present but he was spiritually absent, um, usually delegating spiritual cultivation to their their wife. Um, yeah. um, even churches are, by and large, um, women. Um, and so that's really impacted, impacted the family. And then third, the main concept in the book is, I don't think we actually have a millennial problem as much as I think we have a discipleship mm. problem. And so uh, the if we don't fix the discipleship problem, 
the millennial problem will just turn into a Z generation problem, and then it'll turn into an alpha generation problem. Yep. And whatever generation they, I mean, I don't know if they're going to go to beta generation. They just start <laughs> over, I guess, is what they're doing. But it's a millennial, I mean, it's a discipleship problem, is we've neglected the Great Commission of going and making disciples, yeah. and therefore, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to always struggle with reaching the next generation. But if we can, um, yeah, if we can, I say, we can. This would be my campaign. If we can just simply make the commission great again, mm. um, then we will see the millennial generation able to reach the Z generation. And I always say it's very important that we stop talking about how to reach millennials. Yeah. Um, ironically, and that's my whole platform mm. is the millennial guy. But I'm like, that's not irrelevant. But the question is wrong. Like millennials don't want to be reached. Yeah. Literally, so many markets and businesses are trying to reach them. Stop trying to reach them. Start trying to utilize them. Let's start mm. asking how do we reach them and start asking how do we train them and disciple them so that they can reach the Z generation. Wow. Because if we think Z gener- or millennials are so bad, man, just wait when the Z generation comes up and all they saw was the generation before them walk away from the Lord and not uh, not know the things of God or the power of God or the Word of God. Yeah. Well, you just listed out three things, the shift in the American, the, what the American dream is, father's generation, mm-hmm. and a discipleship problem. Let's take those yeah. one at a time. Talk to me a little bit cool. about the shift in the American dream. What do you mean by that? What's the shift of the goals or the desires of a millennial as opposed yeah. to maybe the generation before? This is kind of a more of a niche book in uh, the business world. But are you familiar at all with? Uh, it's called Halftime by Bob Buford. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The the whole concept is so it's called Halftime: Moving from Success to Significance. Okay. So it was kind of a book written by a guy who hit this midlife crisis, who was a, an unbelievably successful uh, man in business, and he uh, wrote Halftime for guys and girls that were like hitting their midlife crisis of. Six, unbelievable success, right. but then still feeling a type of emptiness halfway through. Like they had the house, they had the kids, they had the degree, they had uh, the 401k, they had all this stuff, but then would still like wake up and find themselves wondering, man, is this, is this yeah. it? Like I just spent half my life, like I'm in my 40s, 50s, and this is all I get. Like I thought in my uh, teenage years or 20s that this would have been felt more satisfying. Yeah. And, um, and so they move from success to significance, basically how they give their time, their talent, and their treasure, mm-hmm. basically back to the kingdom with their with their wealth and their wisdom and all their uh, connections and success. Well, when I read that book and uh, saw this concept, which I think we're experientially getting to, getting to see a lot, is our generation, I don't know about your parents, but I feel like a lot of our generation got to see their parents do a job, especially our dads, take on a job, usually do it for a long time, mm-hmm. but not really enjoy that job like at all. Mm. Like see him come home and just tired, exhausted, wanting to veg out. Some dads, the ones that are not spiritual fathers or even emotionally connected with their kids would just veg out, like exclude, like kind of isolate himself because yeah. he needed to like recharge or reboost, right. uh, take on hobbies to avoid the responsibilities at home because he just did something that provided but it wasn't his passion at all. And so um, I think we got to see a lot of our parents give their soul for work mm-hmm. or the American dream. And then two things is not enjoy it at all, barely. And then two, once they got to the end of the road and really found success, not really feel satisfied right. by it. So it's like, why in the world why do, we do, this? do I want this American dream when it sounds like a millennial nightmare yep. is what I would say. And so I'm not saying millennials now have the right answer. I just think they're swinging the pendulum from provision mindset in their major, their job, 
all that in their career to a passion mindset. Yeah. I want to do something that satisfies me. Uh, Business Journal found that 52% of millennials um, would take a drastic pay cut mm. in order to have a job that made a difference. And so I would say it's more of a passion and purpose generation. It's like, how do I, how do, I do something I love and how do I make a difference doing it? Now, yeah. I, as you know, Unfortunately, <laughs> we wanted that kind of job as our first job or a second job. Yeah. I worked at Marshall's as my first job. That nice. wasn't my passion. Was that not your passion? passion no. Job. No. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, it, I think I scored. I loved Marshall's at that time, but I didn't see myself long-term being at Marshall's. And so I think yeah, we want that, that passion job immediately. And you got to do a lot of provision mindset just to pay the bills yeah. and do the grind to get to that. And so it was a real tension um, and it's a real division. I think the enemy is winning at by getting the wisdom of the generation that's learned from that mindset, that American dream and how it doesn't satisfy mm. and a generation that's just fully trying to pursue their passion and mo- usually waiting on a job mm. or living at home with their parents. And it leads to depression and, and uh, it leads to comparison because I think, again, God opens doors when you're obedient to what he's put before you yeah. today. Yeah, that's so good. I can see that tension developing like crazy because, you know, we have so many young people that we're around that are always, you know, talking about their job, their specific workplace, and they're going, man, I just want to find the thing I love to do. And I even try to counsel people with something that you put in the book I want you to describe here in a second, this idea of passion, purpose, and provision and the Venn diagram or the convergence of those things. I love that. I want you yeah. to just ex- explain that in just a second. But, you know, we're always telling people, hey, the way you're going to find what you were what what you were basically built here to do on earth, your purpose, your specific and unique, distinct calling here is by, by looking at the convergence of those three things. And so yeah. what will happen is they'll, you're right. They'll just they'll wait around for that to get dropped in their lap and not understand the stewardship principles of Scripture of this. Okay, yeah. you're faithful with the with the little, and then I can I can entrust you with more. Um, and and part of the problem I think is that um, there is a fear that if that they'll get stuck in some kind of a this this thing. Once I like commit to a job here that isn't. It's not necessarily inside my pet, but I've got to use it to provide for a family or provide for, then I'm going to somehow get sucked into that, stuck in it, locked into it for 50 years. And I'll never be able to get out of it. Um, yeah, I can see that. And how do you, how do you, you know, if you're sitting here mentoring me and I'm worried about that, how would you practically tell me, okay, here's how to pursue your passion alongside of making sure, how do you, you're, you're making sure you provide, like how's that tension managed there practically? Uh, kind of two things. One is I found you actually start to appreciate the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then two, if you're a young single, I'm like, dude, don't even talk to me about your passions if you're not seeking mentorship and discipleship mm-hmm. by older people. Um, because yeah, you're just trying to figure it out by yourself. But when it, I'll just use Dallas. Like I said, I, I didn't want to be in Dallas. I wanted to leave and go somewhere way cooler than Dallas. And then one day I'm like, okay, I'm all in. Uh, I, I felt like that story also where the he's he cast out legion legion yeah. from that that dude and the dude's like hey can i can i follow you and he's like nah man just go yeah. home and i felt like okay if that's what you're calling me to do i can't go with you you call me to stay here and be an impact here mm. i'll do that um and you know a couple things started i started noticing is i just i was happier but also i would i travel a lot still and i get to see awesome places places that are so much cooler than dallas like all the time mm-hmm. uh, i go to nashville i'm like i love nashville is my favorite city that i'm not called to yeah there you go <laughs> like it's so awesome um nashville i like new york i like brooklyn a lot mm-hmm. i like orange county a lot but when i come home and i see that s- skyline 
I'm always glad to be back. Yeah, yeah. And when, especially when I, then I get on the highway and I got to drive home and it's all this traffic. I'm like, I, I miss this. Like I miss the traffic and I, I'm okay that this is what our city is like. Like the mm. weather is terrible and that it's like so hot one day, so cold the other. Like <laughs> when you go to Orange County, it was the first time I ever saw the sun with no, no clouds out, just a pure sun blazing on you. And it felt awesome. Like <laughs> in, in Texas, it sucks when it's that's not the that case. Way in like, Dallas, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like, God, like Houston's worse. I guess I could compare myself. Like those guys are worse than us. But it's it really made me like okay I love it like I love it I own that it's a it's a schizophrenic weather it's all these different <laughs> things but I'm okay with it like this is the city God gave me and I love it and so I I don't know maybe that's not the case for everyone else but I feel like God gives you a patience and a grace mm-hmm. and maybe even affection for for the things that you used to not like because finally you're all in mm-hmm. and and I think he yeah that's one and the two. If you have, you got to do your provision job. I would just say, man, use your your other extra hours uh, to be around those that are doing what you're passionate about, good, and they're yeah. 10, 20, 30 years ahead of you. Yeah. And if you're not doing that as a young single, you are missing the biggest window of your life. Uh, I I can't stand when millennials are just hanging out with other millennials there all the time because I'm yeah. like, dude, you know. Yeah, when you're young, older people will help you for free. When you're right. older and you ask an expert. Hey, can I join you or pick your brain or whatever? They will. It yep. just it, they'll send you an invoice after because it's called consulting. <laughs> but if you're young, it's free, and so take advantage. Yeah. And you have free time, man. Like I don't know when you're married with kids. Like yeah. my my two brothers are, and just going to Chipotle is like an act of Congress. Oh it gosh. takes so much work and so much <laughs> my more money. My wife's over here. She's listening to this laughing. She's she's like, yep, <laughs> dude. It's like it took thirty yeah. minutes to get in the car to yeah. go yeah. to a restaurant. I was like, I understand why. Like when you're young, you just have free time. So yeah. I think that when young people only hang out with young people, it's like it's like Lord of the Flies is what yeah. I said in the book. It's it's sixth graders asking other sixth graders for dating advice. <laughs> but if you really want to learn. Go go learn from people that have been married for twenty years, and yeah. you're going to learn a billion times more than asking your friend that's just starting the date. Yeah, that's great. I love that advice of hey, do your provision job right now, even if it's not your dream job, and then hang out with people in your free time. Because when you are single, I mean, sitting next to my audio engineer Tommy, I talk about this all the time with folks. This dude kills it. He has a provision mm-hmm. job, and he works in yeah. logistics. I guarantee you, if you sat down and talked to Tommy, he would not want to work in logistics the rest of his life. He yeah. loves audio engineering. He loves playing music. He loves doing those things. But what he does in his free time is he contracts and he volunteers with the stuff he loves. And God's opening yeah. up doors and of opportunity for him and yeah. continuing to allow him to do that. And I'm confident yeah. you know, that he keeps staying faithful. God's going to allow him to do that for a living one day because he's just soaking in so much knowledge. He's getting a free education right here. You know, yeah. by doing all this stuff, it's just a, but, but there's so many times that especially young singles, they just waste time, you know, at, at the bars, at the clubs, doing whatever they want to do, trying to, you know, f- you know, uh, find, find their, find their, you know, wife or their husband or whatever it is yeah. they are trying to find. Yeah. And it's like, man, there's so much kingdom work that you're able to do that someone like me who is married with two kids, we just don't have the bandwidth to, you know? Yeah. Use that time uh, wisely. Can you talk to me a little bit about that that Venn diagram? Explain that out. Passion, purpose, provision, and the convergence as you're trying to find your your niche, so to speak, or what you're what you were built to do. Talk, just explain that a little bit, like you did in the book. It's yeah, great. yeah. In the book, I mean, I talked about how the generations before mostly made their their they chose their major in school, their job, 
and even their like American Dream based off provision are generate. Then they went and had success. Then moved, shifted it to significance. Mm. The only difference between I think older generations who have midlife crisis is we've seen that two times already with boomers and Xers that. We don't want to have a midlife crisis, so we're having a quarter-life crisis, there you go. <laughs> um, which is before. And, and my friend in California says uh, quarter-life calling mm. is what it could turn into if there's wisdom and guidance and mentorship, where we're like saying, hey, instead of doing wasting 25, 30 years doing this, start here. But it is going to shift um, success to significance. Now we're considering significance in our major, in our, in our mm. uh, job, in our career, in the American dream, if you will. And so that, uh, what I've told parents to do, and even millennials, yeah. is you're never going to get to avoid the provision questions, which are also the grit and sacrifice questions. So I say, if you're a parent, stop just showing concern or asking questions to your kids about uh, provision, like how much money are you going to make? How are you going to do this? You're still, what about school? All this stuff. Those are necessary things. Um, but I would say start with passion questions. Help mm. them develop. What are you passionate about? And I provide 15 questions in there. And then after you've helped develop their uh, idea of this is what it seems like you're passionate about, then questions about uh, purpose. What does it yeah. seem like God's put you on this earth to do? And it, uniquely you, and like 15 questions on purpose. Then finish with, okay, this is what you're passionate about. This is what you feel called to do in your mm -hmm. purpose. What is it going to require for you to get there? And so what I think parents do is they reverse that, and they only like, hey, you got to do this. You got to take AP mm -hmm. classes. You got to go to this kind of school. You got to do this. This you got to wake up earlier. You got to stop hanging out with these kind of friends. But they've not uh, fanned into flame any of the concerns or questions for their passion and purpose. So young adults wow. are like, why? And it's like this is the way you got to do it. This is what, what I had to do when you were a kid. I'm like, but mom, I don't know if I want yeah. the kind of life you and dad have. Like, yeah. and so I think it's a generation that's really struggling with their passion and their purpose. They know they don't want to just focus on provision, but that's what their parents are pushing. And again, it creates this this division between generations. Um, and that's where, again, I, I go into mentorship and discipleship is go be around those who are doing what you're passionate mm -hmm. about. And you're going to it's going to be caught more than taught. Like you said, for your your guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, what you're helping him do is a billion times help, more helpful than college. I, I said in the book that college has a better guarantee of putting you in debt than getting you a job. Right. And that's terrible. Right. Wow. All right. So there's that shift in the American dream. There's this fatherless generation. Uh, you started to uncover that a little bit. You know, it's not necessarily just a lack of a father, but maybe, uh, you know, fathers being disengaged. Talk about that yeah. a little bit. Tell me more about the fatherless generation, how it's contributing to uh, kind of a wayward millennial mentality. Yeah, that's a big one, man. And it, it, I will say of all the topics in the book, I, I felt least... Hmm. least uh, adequate to talk about that topic, but I Well, you also talked about it in a good way. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah, so yeah. I appreciate it. But also, I felt like not to talk about it would be uh, to be missing a big yeah, piece. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, such a fun, I have never shared this story, but I that chapter wasn't in the book. And then as you know, when you write a book, yep. you get... You get quite a lot, I think a year until they actually put that thing out. Yeah. Um, and you get a lot of times to kind of edit it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And every now and then they'll let you add an entire chapter, mm -hmm. but you do gotta, you gotta work with them. And I was with, uh, you ever, you remember Chewbacca mom? Oh yeah. Uh, the, like, okay. Her <laughs> name's Candace. Um, she lives in Dallas and I, I actually met her at, at the Zondervan headquarters. Uh, she was pouring into some young new authors and I happened mm -hmm. to be a lucky person to be there. And, uh, sh we were going to Starbucks, uh, for, I just, in long story short, we were going to Starbucks for something and she was asking about the book. What do you think is the big issues? And I said, fatherlessness. And she's like, 
man, that really struck me yeah. when you brought up the topic of fatherlessness. And she said, How, what did you say about that in the book? And I said, well, I didn't put that in the book because like, I'm not a father wow. and I'm not even a husband. And she said, I know that's a huge, everyone knows that's a huge issue, but like yeah. to hear a millennial's perspective on it would be really helpful. Yeah. And so I just thought it was funny that Chewbacca mom got me to talk <laughs> about fatherlessness. Um, so I put it in there, but I, I, I think my biggest issue with the church when it comes to fatherlessness is not so much the, the deadbeat dad, but I would say it's more the distant dad. Yeah. And I give like six categories for different types of dads I've seen of millennials. And I think the distant dad is the most popular dad that's allowed to be in leadership and mm. in the church and not called out or held accountable in the church. And it's basically the dad that shows up with his wife every every Sunday to church, but puts almost zero effort towards being a spiritual leader of the home, mm. um, towards uh, cultivating the faith of his wife and kids. Um, and it sometimes can even be a rough and tough kind of guy mm. with, the, with his bros and um, even with his daughter's dates. Like, um, mm-hmm. I think I said in the book that he, he can be found trying to intimidate his daughter's uh, dates, but he won't be found trying to instigate his daughter's faith. Wow. And so there's this, this like macho part of him, but not a spiritual tender side of him. So he's yeah. like David the warrior, but not, not David the poet. The poet. Wow. And, and I think that that's really hurting. I'm, one, I'm shocked that the church doesn't call that guy out more. Mm. I'm shocked that the church sometimes would put that guy in leadership when his kids know and his wife know he doesn't actually lead the, the yeah. family or try. I'm not saying be perfect. I know, and I, I acknowledge in the book, I know we've not, millennials are not the first to experience a fatherless yeah. issue. That has been long lasting. And so one of the hardest things about my book is it's like most of the people that are older that are reading it, they didn't have strong fathers. Yeah. And most of the people that are reading it, they didn't get discipled. And so I'm, it's really a plea. Let's stop. Like, yeah. let's stop here and change the trajectory of what it looks like to be a man in the church, to make disciples in the church, um, and yeah, to turn things around, if you will. Yeah. Well, bro, you know this. I mean, we fight a very real enemy. And the Ephesians 6, 6 talks about it's an enemy in the supernatural, and it's not something that we can see. It's not flesh and blood. And I believe that if there is anything the enemy can distort our view of, it would be the heavenly Father. If he want, if the only the, the best way for him to do that, his strategy for that is to get us to 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 have really bad earthly fathers yeah. for our image of a father to be distorted. And so when yeah. we talk about our heavenly Father, we're not projecting our misgivings or our bitterness or our frustration uh, from our earthly father onto our heavenly Father. You know, and the second yeah. of those would be marriages. You know, especially a, a wife's um, perspective or um, uh, viewpoint, vantage point of a husband that would be projected onto Jesus, right? Yeah. And so, anyways, go ahead. You just look like you're about to say something. Yeah, dude. Okay, so this, again, I never shared this because it just happened last night. But <laughs> I good I, fresh material from Grant yeah. Skelton right here on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's just funny to me. I was talking to my girlfriend yesterday. I was just there, in Dallas. There's this thing called merge. It's yeah, yeah. like if you're a young Christian and you're thinking about getting married, it's almost like biblical you have to do merch <laughs> it's just that popular and yeah. it is unbelievably helpful it's like an eight-week class that uh, kind of puts these are like the eight things you probably need to talk about or not eight it's just a whole bunch of stuff that right. you normally wouldn't bring up and it creates a great dialogue mm. um, you're in groups um, so you're with other couples that are in the same stage of either pre-marriage or uh, post uh, engagement yeah and so i was at a table it was about five other guys and they're they're Usually, most I don't think anyone was engaged. Yeah, everyone wasn't engaged, and I was just so interested. It was so interesting to watch these other guys that were at varying levels of their Christian right. walk with God. Um, but 
but when they they had a, at the very end, they like, hey, talk about your relationship, talk about uh, where you guys are at, and this and that. And for, the way it was lined up, it was like the girl was first, and then the guy was second. And except for with mine, uh, I was first, and then the girl was second. Just by the way we were seated. Yeah. And it was so interesting to hear each girl talk about like where they're at in their relationship because none of them, although this class is totally pre-marriage class, yeah. all of them were like, we're just trying to learn more. And I think we're, they didn't want to say, I think we're going to get married soon because mm-hmm. it's like, they, it sounded like they didn't know for sure because there wasn't strong clarity. Right. And then when the guys talked, it almost seemed like they didn't want to be there, but they're <laughs> kind of like stuck there because their girlfriend's like, look, we've been dating three or five years. Like what's going on? Let's yeah. go do merge. Yeah. Um, You're not putting socks. a ring on it. So let me try to get you on a track that'll get us toward that. <laughs> yes. The conversations is like, Hey, uh, either red flag, we need to stop or, yeah. or let's go. Like yeah. finally. And I was just like, man, this is such a picture of young guys yeah, that's it. in the church. It's just like this passive, yeah. passive guy. And I just, I really struggle with it. And I know who struggles with it more. <laughs> Freaking Christian single yeah. girls. They yeah. like, Grant, where are the, where are the that's, men? That's and, the question all the time is why, where are the men? Where are the yeah, men? You know? Yeah. And there's, I mean, it's, it is an epidemic and it's a full frontal attack on the, on fatherhood and, and strong men. Yeah. That's, that, that's woven into the brokenness of our, of our world right now. And, and you're right. I believe what you're doing to really call men, I mean, millennials as a whole, men and women, but you know, you're an example where you're calling men to, to arms, essentially saying, Hey, come on, let's, let's, let's be men of God. Let's, um, yeah. you know, let's step up and lead this generation. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I just hope my group doesn't, doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> 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 that group of guys, I'm like just week one and I'm like putting them out there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Man. I don't, no, it's yeah. great. It's great. Um, you talk about a discipleship problem here in the book and, uh, it's, it's, this is the big question a lot of church leaders are asking too, is how do we reach millennials? Um, I love your conversation on, on discipleship. In fact, you, you talk about an ideal disciple, faithful, available, teachable, compatible, and hungry. Can you explain mm-hmm. some of that stuff for me? What is, what is this discipleship conversation? Why is it so pertinent to how we yeah. engage with millennials? Yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, why it's so important is such a Jesus answer, but it is literally Jesus' answer, I guess. It's yeah. like he said, go do it. And so uh, I, in the book, I said his last word should be our first priority. Yeah. But more more than that is like, not only did he say to do it, it's what he did. It's not like, um, I don't know. I don't know how he missed it so much that we like make being a preacher or a speaker at a conference like the biggest godliest yeah. heroes in the faith when like Jesus didn't even seem concerned at all with that. Right. It's so... I say I was on that track and someone really convicted me. They kept saying this saying they're in the, in a breakout once they're like, look, a lot of you young guys just want to go stay at a church, be a conference speaker, blah, blah, blah. Like that's, that's the unspoken like hero in the faith. Mm-hmm. And he said, in this generation, it's going to be possible for you guys to uh, impress Christians, but not mm-hmm. look like Jesus. Wow. And that really, that really messed me up. Cause I realized in I, I got into the one. I didn't try to be a Christian. God just got me one day. Mm. And then I just want, gave my life to him and said, I want to do whatever you call me to do. But then when you join the crew or the group and you start finding yourself like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't know if that's actually what Jesus was all about. Mm. And so uh, when I looked at, okay, what that le- I left that breakout thinking, what is Jesus all about? Like, I'm going to reread the Gospels and I'm just going to simply look for two things. 
one, what does he value so much that we don't seem to value? Mm. And then two, what are things he doesn't value at all that we really, really value? Oh, wow. And I just couldn't miss discipleship. Like yeah. it was like the 5,000 was the thing we really value preaching in front of that big, large audience. And I'm like, okay, what does he do with them? Start mm. a conference, start a mega church. No, he leaves them and gets on a boat later. I'm like, worst follow up ever. And just deuces out <laughs> and keeps discipling the 12. I'm like, literally, if someone did that in Dallas where there's like 5,000 people hungry to hear the word of God, and this one dude's like the new Billy Graham of the day, and we're like, where'd he go? He just, oh, he like went <laughs> to Oklahoma. I don't know. Like, I was like, who is this guy? Like, it's just, I don't know. We would literally critique, critique that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what Jesus did. And, and, and what it told me is not. That the preaching 5,000 isn't important. Clearly, we have the Sermon on the Mount from that. Mm. However, more important than that, I realized, was discipleship with yeah. 12 people, the smaller being a mile deep than a whole bunch of people being like an inch deep. Mm. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a big one. I, I define discipleship as frequently following someone who is spiritually a step ahead of you, uh, because wow. I think we often uh, can confuse mentorship and discipleship, and they are different. To me, mentorship is when you often meet with someone, um, but it doesn't require you to follow someone. And so there's people Uh, I'm sure me and you have met with and gotten advice in a certain area on, but we've never seen what they're like with their wife and kids or what they're like at work with their employees or what they're like in their personal life and their hobbies. Because some some people at work are very different than what they're like uh, with their kids or with what they're like with. I know one of my uh, mentor, uh, one of the board members, she dates a, a, a baseball coach, and this dude's so shy every time she's around. And recently, she she said, "Man, when he's with his his baseball kids, like the, the guys playing, he's uh, he's like a man's man. He's so mm-hmm. different. He's shouting at them." And I'm like, "That's so interesting. It shows like we're he's not a different person. It's just it requires if I'm talking to an eight year old compared to an eighteen year old compared to eighty year old." that's that the different side of me comes out and so um yeah i just think that's what jesus did he had people that were frequently following him because mm-hmm. he was spiritually a step ahead and i think that definition allows every single person to feel like someone can frequently follow me in mm-hmm. my work life maybe my church life maybe my personal life or maybe my family life um and and i am spiritually a step ahead because the enemy will get us to doubt that we're ready to disciple someone or qualified to disciple mm-hmm. someone but if you ask yourself we're not saying, are you perfect like Christ? We're just saying, are you able to say, follow me as I follow Christ? Yeah, that's good. I suppose that requires people, if they're going to have someone frequently following them, if they're going to actually engage in discipleship, it means they got to open up their lives to people. And sometimes that yeah. can be a little scary, you know, to, to go, yeah. I'm exposing the things I don't want that typically I can leave at home to in order to go and attend church. I'm exposing those things now to somebody else, and they're going to see the good, bad, and the ugly and how I deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, and that that number one excuse I've heard from people of why they don't disciple is number one they'd say I'm too busy, uh, wow. and they are they are crazy yeah. busy. That's why I say don't mentor that adds something to your calendar. Disciple that includes someone in your calendar. Yeah, uh, when you disciple, you don't change anything about your life. You just include someone in it. But then second, they'll say, "Whoa, man, I don't know if uh, I want to." I don't know if I feel comfortable or confident having someone see me and my family or me in the workplace or me even in my personal life. Cause they're, uh, even I share the story in my book that when I first discipled someone, I was like, I was a strong Christian leader for my age. I was 19. Yeah. But I said, my car looked like I was moving. It was just terrible. And my house, my room was just a mess. And 
everything like i played call of duty all the time i had like the golden sniper which i think required like 750 headshots with every sniper which was a ridiculous amount of time you got to put in because that's 100 that's 750 headshots like i i but i did lead a ministry and i did speak a lot and yeah. i was doing some great stuff for my age and i was just thinking man i don't know if i want him to see how much i play this video game and how yeah. messy my car is and my gpa is 1.8 like i just like i don't know i i feel like i'm godlier than most but that's where the question comes in but are you spiritually a step ahead yeah yeah okay i'm spiritually wow. a step ahead so i guess i can say follow me as i follow christ yeah that's wow that's good what would you say if someone because this is a question you know we get a, or at least a statement i hear a lot is I don't feel like anyone is discipling me. So what would you say to a young person about how do they go about finding someone to follow? Does that make yeah. sense? Or, and, yeah. and, you know, and what, what should their expectations be in that? Yeah. A um, couple of things I say uh, for tips on finding someone to disciple you. I would say stop hanging out with young people. Just the, the, the by and large, most young people just hang out with other young people. Yeah. Um, even if you, every major city I go to, if I kind of say, where are the young Christians at? They usually can list about three churches. Yeah. It's kind of like here in Dallas, it's kind of like, I just say, they, they know that there's most young people. This is what people say. I mean, if I meet a young Christian here in Dallas, I'll say, do you go to Village, Watermark, or Gateway? <laughs> These are just like the big three. Right. Um, and in New York, it's probably Hillsong, C3, uh, and maybe one other. Yeah. And it's just, it, it, it's not that those churches are trying to steal all the young people. It's young people want to be with other young people. Right. And so they all go to these few places. But sometimes those churches, um, they'll just hang out with the young people, not be around the older generations. Mm. Um, and so I say, like, become a local among older people. Like, find a couple men's Bible studies or women's Bible studies. Find a couple uh, regular meeting groups where, like, find groups where do the older, wiser, godly people. And if you can, if you know what you're called to do in the specific vocation, find where those people that are 10, 20, 30 years ahead of you that are really successful, where are they spending a lot of their time and become a local? Yeah. Um, again, you have all this free time. It's, I would say older generations, number one commodity they have, uh, more than money and more than connections um, is actually their, their wisdom mm. uh, and experience. But I would say our greatest commodity as young people, uh, more than our creativity and more than our passion and energy is our time. Yeah. We have time. Like, when you are not, you're out of your parents' home, and then you're not married. This little window where you're not asking your parents for permission, you're not asking your yep. spouse for permission. You can just go do what you want to do. To waste it by not being with older people is is uh, you're going to miss out on a time that most would say is going to set up the trajectory for the rest of your life. Yeah. Now, when you are around those older people, um, I would say you don't ask them to disciple you right away. I guess in this generation or this day and age, just ask them to coffee if mm. possible. Um, or I just try to find what do they like to do and how can I join them? Like one of the guys is a business leader that disciples me currently. And uh, what I did was I knew he liked to run. And so I asked him, can I run with you? Mm. Um, and he loves jogging and he's like the half marathon type of guy, like put the sticker on the car kind of guy. And so my funny story is when I, the first time I actually got to go run with them was that um, I texted him. I said, Hey, I know we can't meet for um, I, getting a meeting with him. Took about a year. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's very, very, very busy man. Very, very, very successful businessman. Mm. And um, so it took a year to get a mentorship meeting with him, wow. but it took a day to get a discipleship meeting with him in the wow. sense of joining his life. Yeah. There you but go. I had to know what does he like to do? And where, um, so I asked, can I run with you? 
um, I'm trying to get into running. He said, yeah, tomorrow, meet me at four. Wow. And so, again, it requires a faithful, available, teachable. The number one thing and the thing I added was hungry. Yeah. You got to be hungry enough to yep. go do that. And so I show up at 4 a.m. to his office in downtown Dallas. And uh, I'd love to say it was awesome. But honestly, the dude didn't even show up to the, to the meeting at all. What? Uh, um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't show up. And he didn't even uh, text me like where he was or until 7 a.m. when he woke up at uh. a, a more of a godly <laughs> hour. And he texted me and he said, hey, man, I'm so sorry. When I said meet me tomorrow at 4, like I meant p.m. Oh, my gosh. But I don't know, man. To you, don't you feel like hey, runners run early in the morning? They usually do. Yeah, who would have thought 4 p.m.? I probably um, would have thought the same thing, especially if this guy, you know, if he works a pretty t- conventional job, you know, exactly. 9 to 5. That's exactly. funny. Hey, man, you yeah. got to see how hungry you were. Maybe that was just your, that was your test. That's, Dude, yeah. that was a huge thing. Like, this guy, I mean, yesterday, we're going to, we're go, we happen to run a lot of the same circles now. Yeah. And he's gotten me a lot of, connected to his world and we're going to dubai together wow, this dude cool. helped buy my ticket to dubai wow. like he's he's walked with me and helped me with my book launch yep. with a breakup with wow. uh, things with my own father uh and, and i know that it meant a lot to him to see like dang this kid yep. is hungry to be around me like he'll show up at 4 a.m yep. in the dark um in downtown dallas to run with me and it it, it i think that you gotta you gotta find what they love to do yep. and then be so confident in in the greatest thing I'll finish with is the bar is so low for millennials. I mm. love that. Like I love the negative stereotypes because you only have to be kind of good to look great <laughs> as a millennial. Like, but if you really can have a great uh, faithfulness, availability, teachable spirit, be hungry, That's so man, good. you will stand out like a unicorn in this generation. That's so great. Yeah, I think that hunger thing, I mean, you know, coming and approaching those those situations and asking a lot of questions, not talking about, how great True. you think you are at what you're doing and trying to impress the person that, but if you come and ask a lot of questions, man, there are people in the older generation that are more than willing. They would love to share their wisdom, love to share their experience. Yeah. I, I heard this the other day that um, the best, the best uh, lessons are learned by experience, but they don't have to be your own experience. Right, you don't yeah. have to learn from yeah. your own school of hard knocks. You can learn from somebody yeah. else's, Absolutely. and that's a great way to kind of avoid some unnecessary pain that may be in your life by just gleaning from some older, wiser people. Yeah. Hey, before we before we log off, because I just got one question. You talk about these this thing with parents. How would you advise? Because we have a, a gamut of listeners in our community of age range, especially, and we've got parents who are going, "Hey, I'm." I don't know what to do with my kids who fit into this millennial and they are, I resonate with everything you're saying now, Grant, this is exactly what my, the way my kid is wired and behaving. How do I foster within them God's best for them as a parent? They're frustrated. They're fed up. What would you say to them? I know you're not a parent, but man, you got a great perspective on it. I think you do some great stuff in the book about it. So yeah. And this would be um, when they're, when they're frustrated, are they frustrated because their kid, does, is walking away from the faith? Are they frustrated because their kid just is failing to launch? Um, mm. What? Just give me a little bit of example. That's good. Yeah, I would say there's probably uh, you know both of those represented, but I would say if you have a parent, I, there, we specifically had a question about frustrated with a kid who is walking away from the faith. Yeah. What would you say? Um, yeah. So there's a chapter I wrote in the book called "For the Mom Who Just Doesn't Know What to Do," mm. um, and it's about. 
I, like I, I said, I'm, I'm helping parents, pastors, and business leaders. That's my main group of people that I speak to. Right. And I found that the pastors, they're so interested in trying to learn. The the, the business leaders are so frustrated by millennials um, mm. because they work with them, and I get it. <laughs> like They're with them all the time. Right. But the parents, they're like desperate. Uh, they're, it's a very emotional thing. Like yep. When they come to me after speaking and at like Q&A with me or ask me questions, and um, they tend to break break down as they talk about their their child who's walked away mm. from the faith. Um, usually it's a son or a daughter that maybe even grew up in the church and did, never would have predicted that they would be so far from the Lord at this point. And they start to tear up a lot. Yeah. And so God's really burdened my heart for those parents to just pray with them. But like, um, it reminded me um, that, because I'm a complete stranger, and they're like within 30 seconds crying mm-hmm. about their kid. And it reminded me that I do the same thing for my brother Luke. Um, who's my youngest brother, because he is the number one person that I pray for once I became a Christian to like find a relationship with the Lord. Wow. And it, it had been 11 years um, that I had not seen any change. In fact, I felt, felt, saw things get so much worse, like drugs, prison, mm. uh, alcohol. Like This dude's just a crazy kid. Like This kid tattooed himself, like one arm tattooing the other arm. Mm. It looks terrible. Like Just he got stabbed once because when he was selling drugs, it was just like really went Man. off the deep end. And I then moved away. And I really hit a point, and that's why I wrote a chapter for the mom who just doesn't want to know what to do. Because if they're not around your house and they don't even want to listen or be around you, how are you going to influence yeah. them in any way? Because all you can do is do what we often say is you can just pray for them. But I really found, um, I guess to encourage that, that person or that mom potentially is um, – after about eleven years, I was like, "God, do you? I'm I'm numbing to the idea that you could even do something in my my mm. brother Luke because I haven't seen anything." And one of my best friends kind of reminded me of the story of the woman with the twelve year blood issue, mm. and just said, "Look, this is a lady that had twelve years of seeing nothing change. Um, it's probably things just getting worse in the same sense, but she did not lose hope or expectation. Um, wow. In fact, she saw when Jesus was coming by, like." She had so much even assumption that God's character was good because she said, I mean, if I could just touch this man, I will be healed. And there's nowhere in the Bible where I see that that if you touch him, you're going to be healed. Mm -hmm. But she had assumed his goodness because after a while and not seeing God move, you can definitely assume like he just doesn't care anymore. And you have to plead and beg him to care. Um, but this woman, after 12 years, still didn't believe that. Had an assumption that he still wants to heal me. And he said, uh, he pointed out something I never realized. He said, she had an assumption that she, he wanted to heal and an expectation that he would heal. And when he got around him and finally touched him, immediately the power left. And I know the story. I just had never thought about this. Yeah. And he said, um, he said, do you ever notice that when uh, the power leaves him and she is healed, Jesus asks, like, hey, who touched me? And Peter actually speaks up and says something dumb, like he always does. Um, my pastor said <laughs> Peter must have had peppermint stalks because he was always putting his foot in his mouth. Um, and so he he said, uh, "Hey Jesus, how can you how can you ask who touched you?" He, and he said, "Everybody's touching you." Wow. <laughs> and uh, there's this a good point because everyone's touching Jesus. Yep. And my friend Chichi said, "But only one person received anything wow. from Jesus." The lady with expectation, and he, what he kind of said is like, you can be in the presence of God and not receive anything because wow. you don't expect anything. And so he just said, I, I know you love God, and know you see God moving. I just want you to like believe again that God yeah. can move in your brother, your brother's uh, life, um, even if you're not even around him. Like he's that powerful, and you assume that he's already at work, even as you've given up hope wow. to reach Luke. 
And it really renewed my prayer life in a whole new way. I went to bed that night, like praying, God, I, I pray that you, I'm not around my brother anymore. Um, and he, we don't talk that often and I don't see him barely at all, but I would just pray you surround him with other Christians yeah. um, that can just, I, I said, I pray that you haunt him mm-hmm. with other Christians that go. are like reflecting you in a way that's con- unique to him. Yeah. Um, because it's not working in the way that I'm going towards him. Yeah. Uh, but I pray you haunt him with other Christians. And because um, I just saw a pattern of that in the Bible, Jesus mm. and God sends people for his purpose, like uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Yep. When Paul gets uh, converted, he sends Ananias. Like yeah. he, he likes to connect his people in very unique ways. And so I guess long story, not that short, but <laughs> I guess a little bit long shorter is, yeah, long story long is that, um, yo, like within a, a week, I get a call from Luke one night, and he's like, hey, Grant, um, I'm a waiter at a restaurant, and there's a guy here that I swear was one of like those singers that mom used to listen to. Um, he's a black guy, <laughs> gospel singer guy. What's his name? The guy that would be like, GP, are you with me? <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, uh, I was like, of all things of how you can describe who this guy oh, is, no. but I knew who he was. Yeah. He was like, Kirk Franklin? <laughs> he's like, yes, that's the name. I was like, that guy, I'm, I'm a waiter for him right now. And he said, is he still doing music? I was like, Luke, at the time, I was like, this guy just did a song with Kanye West. Like, <laughs> he's not like he's just singing songs, like, for the church. Like, he's doing stuff with Chance the Rapper and stuff. He's like, no way. Like, so he's, like, a real musician. He's legit. Like, dude, I'm like, dude, the dude's really legit musician. Like, won a lot of grant, like, whatever, awards and all that. And so he's like, my brother wants to be a musician. And again, uh, I said, send him uniquely for man. him. And uh, my brother's like, oh, so I should ask him for like advice or connections or something. I was like, here's what I would do. Because he asked me, what should I ask him? I said, ask him, what were you doing, Kirk, when you were my age? My brother was, I think, 22. Hmm. And uh, ask him, what were you doing at the age of 22? So to see, like, what was he focusing right. on? Because you probably need to be focused on some of the same stuff. And then um, say, what do you? What would you give me advice now? Or if you could go to you yourself at 22, what would you tell your old self at 22? And so but, but, uh, he hung up. He's like, man, great answer. Uh, I'm going to go ask him that question. Uh, about 30 minutes later, I get a text from him. And he's like, bro. That guy just rocked my world with wow. his answer, like totally just hit the nail on the head. Man. And so I'm like, I'm calling him. What did he say? My brother's the worst communicator. I didn't hear from him for like <laughs> two weeks. I'm like, what the heck did Kirk say? But I've come to find out, I, I, I connected with him later. And he said that he just kind of knew that I was kind of running from God. It's just like he could sense it. Wow. And he grabbed me by my arm and said, hey, I can tell you're running from God and you're carrying everything with you like a bag of luggage, is what he said. Wow. And it just rocked him. And my brother came to Christ later that wow. year. And my brother joined our crew and my brother moved in with me. Dude, it it was it was incredible. Wow. Like stuff that's just so awesome to see the way that he walks with the Lord. And so I just I like to encourage you like don't lose hope that God can move in your 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 family and and remember that you're not the only one called to do it like um, ask ask God for That's help right. and He's got children all around the world with all types of personalities and giftings um, and, and He's that's He's got people for those purposes. Man, that's so great. I know there's a, a mom or a dad that's out there that's going to be so encouraged by that that story and uh, that's awesome. Kirk Franklin, yeah, would, man. One day you need to, when you meet Kirk Franklin, you got to tell him that story, bro. Bro, absolutely. I, I, and I put it in the book. I'm like, I put parentheses. Thanks, Kirk. <laughs> Thanks, Kirk. <laughs> like, Hopefully I, he I've reads never it. seen you. That's I always awesome. think, like, I asked for just a messenger. That's I never great. would have thought he'd send Kirk Franklin. So it just wow. shows us, like, God. 
God can do so much more. That's right, than man. We think. That's right. That's awesome. Grant, this has been an incredible conversation, man. Your book just released, right? Yeah. Called yeah, the, passion the Passion Generation. The Passion mm-hmm. Generation. We'll put it up on our podcast page so that people can awesome. get to it pretty pretty quickly. But man, it's a it's it's absolute sauce. It's an incredible book. Just the little bit that I've been able to thumb through and kind of piece some of the excerpts together. I'm like, okay, I'm reading this whole thing because it was it's it's great. And so I appreciate what Thank you're you, doing man. for the kingdom. Appreciate what the conversation that you're driving right now. It's gonna make a huge difference. It really is. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me, man. Man, Grant is a genius. Wow, genius. that was so good. I'm, I'm still not sure that Dallas is as cool as Indianapolis or St. Louis for that matter, but he's made me want to visit Dallas. I know, I agree. <laughs> so I'm, actually, cool. I'm actually headed to out Dallas in April and I kind of need his restaurant go-to list. Yes, I wonder if Grant Skelton's got a restaurant go-to list. We need to find that out because I'm sure he's got a lot of great restaurants that a lot of cool millennials are hanging out at mm-hmm. or maybe even own. Do millennials own restaurants? I mean, if they're passionate about them. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> hey, all the inf- information that you need to find or want to find um, about Grant Skelton, you can go to davyblackburn.com slash podcast. This is episode 45. We'll have a link there where you can easily find his book, The Passion Generation. It's an incredible book. So good. I wish we had had more time to talk to him about this. Um, but man, it was a great interview with him. It really was. We'd also like to thank Brian O'Neill for providing the music Sleeping at Last. You can pick this up anywhere that music is downloaded. Yeah. And before we sign off, Mel, great job. This was your first time with us. This is so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, I have to tell you a really funny story. Okay. Tell it to me. So as I'm leaving the house today, my daughter, who just turned six, looks at me and she says, Mommy, are you going on a date? I was like, (laughs) no. She goes, what day is it? Is it Sunday? Are we going to church? No, baby. Why do you ask? She's like, why aren't you wearing sweatpants? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my God. That's amazing. I feel like our kids probably feel the same way about us too. It's like, wait a minute. This jeans, pants, what, what is this, a sweater? What are you doing, Dad? Hold on a second. That's awesome. I know. Hey, that actually dovetails, dovetails really well with who we have next time on the podcast. Um, it's a fantastic interview, and I want you guys, before we sign off, to just take a listen to this clip from the next episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I feel like I'm really blessed to have a friends and family and a church community that are very supportive and, mm. um, and kind of came around me to be supportive in that time and our family. Um, but it was really hard. I think partially because I still felt the need to kind of keep up all the things I already had in the air. So I was mm. still trying to juggle all these balls. Um, but then also feeling depleted and worried and everything was very unknown. Um, so it was just a really hard season and, you know, I think that one thing I did learn during that time is how important it is to be able to let things go and to not feel that you have to measure up to all these arbitrary standards. Um, And maybe there are times when your house is sparkling clean and you have this (laughs) amazing social calendar and, you know, and you're, you know, nailing all these great jobs and returning emails in five seconds. And then maybe there are seasons when 
you're not going to be impressive at all to anyone. And that's 100% okay. Mm. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to do that. And that was probably one of my biggest takeaways is just learning to, to not try so hard. Um, yeah. And that kind of like when we stop trying so hard, we end up a lot happier and healthier. And, you know, I don't know, we learn to just trust in God's love instead of trying to earn, earn that, I guess.